into triple zeros. I am your host, Josh Buckhalter. to hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. Follow me on Twitter at Josh G. Buck. Hit up the Facebook page at Clocker Sports, the website, clockersports.com. And of course, the email address is clockersports at gmail.com. Man, it's tough right now. <laughs> uh, sports, the sports world is a barren wasteland when it comes to, well, really just live action games. You have uh, both leagues, both major leagues, the NBA and the NFL giving you uh, free replays, free game passes, free league pass, whatever you want to call it. For their respective leagues, that's a wonderful prize, but a uh, wonderful gift. But it's still not the same as, as fresh breaking news. Uh, we don't get a lot of that from the NBA, but we do have some. And we, all, of course, had we have the NFL conducting a lot of its offseason activities, much as it regularly would, with a major hiccup coming. Now, uh, we're going to kick it off with the NBA. First things first, Iman Shumpert has been doing the rounds lately, and uh, most recently he was telling the story about how Kobe, you know, gave him the business in the fourth quarter, hit him with the old uh, good game, Rook, and it was, you know, still a whole quarter to go. Quarter, I think quarter and some change and ended up uh, working him. But this instance, he was talking with Vlad TV, and he took the time to defend Carmelo Anthony and said that Melo, contrary to a lot of what people want to believe, you know, call him selfish and this, that, and the third, Melo would take a lot of the blame and a lot of the heat on the Knicks unduly just because he felt like, he could take it, and it wouldn't make a difference. I mean, he was built for the spotlight, as I guess you could say. It's an interesting interesting position to take, again, like I said, because a lot of people would view Melo as selfish. That was a part of the reason, at least part of the perception of why he wasn't being picked up by any of the teams after the Thunder and before he landed with Portland right now. Now, again, this is one man in Shump, but I, I don't see any reason why Shump would have to go out and, and – uh, kind of inflate this story to make it sound any better than it was. Shump even kind of pointed out the fact that Melo doesn't really have to lie about it. You know, if if if, if he makes a mistake, he'll kind of own up to it. So, if, again, it's just an interesting kind of spotlight put on a player who I think has gotten dogged a lot in the media and has a, a really bad rap based on a couple of instances when you look at a lot of the other players who were there, a lot of the other people who were involved in those situations, they aren't necessarily the best of people or haven't had the best of relationships outside of, of that situation either. So I can't, I don't, I don't like to say that's all on mellow. Now we do have Houston and what happened. Okay. See those kind of, those didn't work out. <laughs> so I won't say that, uh, that, you know, mellow's just been constantly thrown in these, these horrible situations, but I think it gets a lot. I think his reputation being selfish gets overblown a lot because people just didn't like him because mellow wasn't really that dude who was out here. Uh, Melo was just always different. He was always a different kind of star. He was older than LeBron, obviously. LeBron always got the spotlight, but Melo came out as like a grown man. Melo was probably a little bit better early on in his career because he was more skilled. I, I just, I, it's, it's, it makes a lot of sense what Shump says, where he was, where Melo will kind of just take a lot of rap and not really care, not necessarily, you know, say that he was. Even if he wasn't necessarily volunteering to do so, I could definitely see him be like, yeah, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, whatever. Doesn't matter. Because he was, I mean, clearly he was out here living his best life. Some would call it his worst. Whatever. That's neither here nor there. The point is he was out here. Uh, he had other things going on and was still capable and functioning well, knowing that he was taking a lot of uh, blame and heat unduly. I think that's just remarkable and kind of just shines another light on Melo and, and a better way than a lot, what a lot of a lot of ways that you'll see him nowadays. It's kind of sad the way that people try to paint him. I, I really hate when people say that, you know, um, 
Portland, Melo gets to Portland and now they're losing. Portland was losing without Melo. That's why they got Melo. <laughs> I don't know what people, I don't know what happens that makes people feel like they have to go out and dog uh, the player just because they don't like him. You can just go out and say that. That's fine. You don't got to like the guy, but to sit there and act like, you know, you you don't know, uh, you're not sure why it is that, or you're, you to sit there and act like he's the reason why this team is losing when you know for a fact that they were losing prior to his arrival, this being Portland. And Portland has been one of the biggest disappointments this season. I've been on record saying that for quite some time. I didn't think they would make it back. I knew I called them not making it back to the heights that they, that they did last season. But even I didn't see them falling off as hard as they have. Portland has fallen by the wayside, and it's just kind of remarkable. Again, I, I I don't know if I called it exactly this way. I got to go back and check the tapes. But I know I felt like they just didn't improve enough when everybody else around them was doing so much wheeling and dealing, especially those L.A. teams. So that that was two teams right there that kind of uh, jumped them. But beyond that, they just weren't really that great of a team last year. I think they were healthy. They had a, a good run and they had good matchups in OKC and then, uh, you know, uh, get that Houston team. So it wasn't like they were. Um, I didn't feel like they were. I felt like they had reached their peak reaching the Western Conference Finals last year. Seems as though I might be proven right on that. Just saying. Uh, and then moving on to the Olympics, IOSC and the OSCCC and all the other acronyms involved with Olympic planning have announced that the games will be postponed. This is interesting and, and important to uh, basketball because it's for the NBA because of players who are preparing for the summer games. That won't be happening now. And uh, so they'll have to... They'll have free time. I mean, they'll be able to work with their teams or hopefully they'll be able to work with their teams at that point, but they'll be stateside. They won't be risking that. They won't be at that level of risk for injury. I guess that's the best way to put that. I don't know if that's, you know, how they feel because I know a lot of these guys want to hoop. Uh, you can't really do that right now. Now is an opportunity for them to get back to a little bit of normalcy. And it seems like they're already pushing it back. So it's, it's kind of a done deal. We'll see if they, if they, if they have a, an opportunity to double back and reverse this decision. But as of right now, it's going to be postponed. And again, that just kind of pushes a lot of the, uh, the extracurricular basketball out for the summer. A lot of these guys who were looking forward to it. I'm not upset. You know, no bulls made it. <clears throat> Put that out there. And then finally talking about on the NBA side. Pairing some NBA stars this is something that I do um, usually in the offseason, but with things looking like we might have an early offseason, might be good to get some ideas going now. And I would love to hear from uh, anybody out there listening what your ideas are for uh, putting two NBA stars. Now, it doesn't have to be – it could be two current. Who are your favorite two current pairs in the NBA right now? Or two random guys. That's where I tend to go with this uh, concept. And I actually wrote about it for a, a blog site a couple a year or so ago. And I, I, I got to look that one up, too. That'd be fun to go back and look at those. But just off the top of my head, a couple of the guys that I've always seemed to want to see play on the same team. And this is such a cliche one. But um, Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon, of course, the two athletic guys. But I think both of them, what makes it so great is that they're kind of they're athletic. But then after that, their skill sets go in different ways. Aaron Gordon is more of a defensive minded player. Zach obviously is a walking bucket, I think, together. And I've actually lobbied for them uh, on the website Pippin Ain't Easy. I'll lobby for the Bulls to make a overture for an Aaron Gordon to, to, to bring him. I just thought he would be the perfect compliment running mate with Zach uh, in that offense. Still do still think that would be a great fit. So that one is it's it's a it's a one that's kind of 
2K-esque, but it's definitely one that has a lot of realistic potential, and, and that's actually where it came from because I just saw, yes, they're both very athletic guys, but if you see where their games have become, have come uh, even from that dunk contest, but more important from when they first got into the league, you know, when they were coming into the league, rather, they've developed so much that I think that they would flourish if put together because they could they would be again two halves of the same hole i think that would work out really well another pairing on oh, this one they were both healthy but it was uh oh man d'angelo russell and demarcus cousins because they like they're both the ability to have the outside game of d'angelo russell with a sledgehammer of uh of demarcus cousins and then the ability for russell to get his to, to smooth his way to the bucket but still have a big uh, boogie cousin out there to kick it out to who could plop a three if necessary. Um, that's just a couple of the ideas, and I'm really, I'll probably develop this one a lot more as uh, the week goes on without you know any new basketball going on. But I would lo- again love to hear any ideas that you have out there. Uh, send your your thoughts again to the you can slide to the DM at Josh G. Buck, hit up the Facebook page again at Clocker Sports, or you can send an email to clockersports at gmail.com. But just any ideas on uh, pairing of NBA stars and who else you might like to uh, see work together? Like another one, a Marvin Bagley, if he was healthy, and a Jared Culver. I think the versatility of both of those players would be something to watch out for. Bagley is a little bit more of, of an athlete than Culver is, but I think Culver's mature game and kind of slow and steady would be a nice balance to Bagley, who can sometimes look a little bit like a baby deer learning to walk for the first time. So just... Ran, this, that's just a random pair I, I, I really can think of. Um, have to do a little bit more. Oh, a really interesting one would be Jonathan Isaac and Michael Porter Jr. Two absolute dreams in terms of defensive length. Um, you get the bucket and the defensive guy, and you get the bucket and Porter, the defensive guy, and Jonathan Isaac. Uh, and then maybe you put another super long guy, Mitchell Robinson, behind him. Um, I just, again, spitballing ideas here. If you have any pairs that you would love to see, if any ones that you currently enjoy watching, hit up the any of the aforementioned handles. Joshy Buck on Twitter, Clocker Sports on Facebook, uh, clockersports at gmail.com. Going to take a quick, quick break. And when I come back, I'm going to talk about some NFL action. Had a, another player step away a little bit prematurely, as has become somewhat of the norm lately in the NFL. Um, but this one has has some major implications for not just him, his team, but one player in particular, and again, back to the team. So, I'm gonna take a quick break, come right back, talk about that. NFL. Welcome back in the Triple Zeros. Again, I'm your host, Josh G. But Josh Buckhalter. Josh G. I'm gonna give you the Twitter handle. I'm your host, Josh Buckhalter. Switching to the NFL now. And Travis Frederick, the center from the Dallas Cowboys, has retired. Uh, if you remember a, a couple of seasons ago, he sat out with, and I always mess this up, Guillaume syndrome, uh, a disease where the your immune system attacks your nerves, your nervous system, and cause a lot of tingling, and, and basically you lose function. Uh, he sat out the entire 2018 season, came back. He hasn't missed a game otherwise, and he had been he is the anchor of that offensive line. They will have to shuffle some members of the media. Patrick uh, Walker, covers the Dallas Cowboys, beat writer. Thinks that they have the member that member on the offensive line already. Frederick is it's rare. It's rare. I think a lot of times when we see offensive linemen as steady as Frederick is, you know, you kind of take it for granted how, what they provide that kind of consistency. Um, I often use a lot of a lot of times when I make a reference to something, you have to I, I 
view it through the lens of as a Chicago Bears fan. That's because put point, you know, put quite simply, there's been a lot of bad football and it's not bad football in terms of just outright terrible. That's easy to kind of dismiss and look over, but it's been bad where like there have been blatant mishaps, miscues, misfirings, overlookings and things of that nature. So I kind of try to frame it that way and knowing how the offensive line here took a major step back when it wasn't great the year before, but you know, kind of were, were beneficiaries of a weak schedule and, and an offense that took everybody by storm, blah, 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 blah. Long story short, they didn't have the consistency. They weren't able to be the consistent group that you kind of need from that offensive line. The Cowboys had that, and a lot of that was due to Frederick. They, when they were missing him in uh, 18, you saw a lot of that kind of kind of, that you saw the absence. You could feel it. You could tell that he they, that they needed his presence there. Back um, when he came back last year, Zeke Elliott was right there chugging along again. Now again, he Zeke wasn't in great shape because he did the whole holdout, whatever. But to have Frederick gone I guess it helps them now have so much time to be able to address it probably in the draft but you still just it, that's a major major piece major anytime you lose your center it's huge but to lose one as good as him who's been so steady so consistent over his career that's major that's going to be a big blow and, and could speed up the process of Dallas regretting that Ezekiel Elliott contract we'll see how long that how how quickly that comes to fruition uh, the Oakland Raiders gave Marcus Mariota a $37 million contract. The Oakland Raiders gave Marcus Mariota a $37 million contract. Asterisk. Yeah, it wasn't quite that much. It's, it's really a two-year $17 million deal with a 7.9 uh, guaranteed base salary in the first year, which is still quite a lot for a guy who had his job took by Ryan Tannehill, who earned himself a handsome uh, contract in, as a reward. But it does. It can reach up to thirty-seven million. Mariota's deal with a lot of incentives and kickers. A lot of them are uh, based on playing time, sixty percent of playing time, and um, performance and all that kind of stuff. It's it's hard to reach without him getting some early tick. And I think what's interesting though is that they built so much in there. As I guess it would be to light a fire under him. But it seems like the Raiders just do everything they do they can to show that they don't want Derek Carr around. Some have speculated that Mariota is kind of an insurance policy in case the Raiders can't land their quarterback that they want in the draft. Um, if they, or that they they're saying that he could be the starter to replace Derek Carr. It, it's it's a very fluid situation. The quarterback of the did I say Oakland, Las Vegas Raiders. Wow, that's gonna have that's gonna take a lot of getting used to. I said Oakland, <laughs> the Las Vegas Raiders. Wow. Um, so it, it's it's a very fluid situation between Derek Carr and Marcus Mariota, I, I guess, judging by the ability of this, the, the potential of this contract. Again, Carr could be unloaded after this year, not too much uh, left on the books. But it's just, I don't, I don't know why they would take Mariota, who I know Mike Mayock loved coming out of the draft, and put him over Derek Carr when Mariota hasn't shown any traits that they are supposedly wanting to see from Derek Carr that they haven't yet. We've seen Gruden kind of berate Derek Carr for not being as aggressive as he would like on the sidelines for checking down when he could have easily have hit in uh, a wide open deep target. Um, Mariota will take those, but he's not. He doesn't have the leadership qualities I would think that Derek Carr has. I, I, I again not around either one of these guys, so I guess it's kind of hard to get that to judge that from the outside looking in, but it's just a, a, a funky decision for the guy that you think is going to come in and push your incumbent starter. Just an interesting choice because again, I don't necessarily see 
Mariota as being that guy. Carr had his best season since 2016 this year, and you bring in Mariota. Now, again, if you were just bringing him in on a cheap one-year deal, I could see it, but this is two years, two years, and you guaranteed his first year. I, that's You are clearly, if not giving him the chance to start, you are definitely sending a clear signal that he is going to be there in case the guy in front of him falters. And I just wonder when do the Raiders cut bait with Derek Carr? Clearly they don't want him to be the guy. That's that much to me has been obvious for quite some time now. And that was before I even got the official um, or or the confirmation that there were, uh, that there was actually some, some trepidation on Gruden in terms of keeping Carr at the helm long-term. But with that until now, it's like, well, well, I'm not sure exactly why they're waiting, but again, this could all be see, uh, assuming they don't land their guy in the draft. And we can see if they move up and wheel and deal. Who knows? Uh, another news that uh, speaking of the draft, the draft will be held in a TV studio, obviously with the uh, concerns over coronavirus. They won't be doing anything live. I'll be interested to see how they manage to get all. I have to read more of the details of it, but I just I, I saw that flash across as I was scrolling doing this right now that they're going to be switching it over to uh, a TV studio. That, that's it's a shame because it's a lot of those players, not a lot, every one of those players who get their name called has been waiting for that moment. They'll still hear their name called, but it's just that it's not the same as being uh, all the, the pomp and fair that they have for the live production. So just a, a really, really tough development uh, at, at a really tough time really across the country. So it stinks to see that one. Uh, 12 up. Website 12 up, a little funny article, quarterback talk, speaking of quarterbacks earlier, 12 up suggests that the uh, New Orleans Saints trade for Mitchell Trubisky, and I thought that that was just hilarious. Um, Go for it. If you're willing to give the Bears something of value for Mitchell Trubisky, go for it. Take him off their hands, and if you are able to turn him into a a great quarterback, I will roundly applaud, but I don't see it. Um, I think he lacks the ability to be consistent like they like. Of course, you know the story that uh, coming out of college, out of North Carolina, the reason why Ryan Pace liked him was because he likened him to uh, Drew Brees. I've often, and Trubisky has often gotten comparisons to Alex Smith, and I've often said that the funny thing about those comparisons to Drew Brees and to Alex Smith is that neither one of those quarterbacks took off for the team that drafted him, and now you got this. Look. Um, we know the Bears just recently traded for and restructured the deal of Nick Foles. I've already come out and said that I expect him to be the starter going into the season. If you are able to get something from Mitchell Trubisky, you should probably do so. Because it's going to become very clear very soon um, how far behind he is in the quarterback battle. And once he loses any more, because his value is already lower than it'll get uh, between now and next season, barring an injury. If you're going to move him, you probably should try to act on that as soon as possible. And then you take Nick Foles' successor in the draft with that second-round pick. Gets kind of dicey doing so. I know because you have a lot of other things. You still have to get some offensive line help in there. Definitely need a guard. Someone like to see a, a, a receiver, but you need a corner. You still need a safety. I would think you probably get safety in the fourth round. Um, maybe you could find a cornerback there too, but you might need to spend a premium pick. They've got three guys at corner, so I doubt they'll p- spend a premium pick at cornerback. So I would assume that you're going to see a receiver or and or a quarterback in the second round 
And the, th- the uh, third option would probably... That's a little bit tougher because they got a lot of resources locked up and tight. And I know Jimmy Graham's older, but they still got Trey Burton around. And neither one of those guys are they are both getting paid for some crazy reason. Offensive line help and a quarterback. If they died that, I could see that. I could totally see them switching up their their philosophy a little bit here with Mitchell Trubisky and going in a different direction and getting kind of a, I don't want to say pocket passer, but a pocket passer, a guy who's going to stand in there and deliver the ball a little bit more on time. A little bit more, a lot more on time than Trubisky does with any type of consistency. So, again, back to the origin of all this conversation on this part here. Uh, if the Saints want to trade for Trubisky and, and prove that they are the ultimate in rebuilding a quarterback, go for it. I, for one, am not as quick to, as, as a lot are, to put a lot of Teddy Bridgewater success um, squarely at the feet of Sean Payton. I know he had much to do with it, and, and I'm not trying to belittle it, but I think we are falling short on, on realizing what Teddy Bridgewater was coming out before he hurt his knee, actually, excuse me, uh, in, in Minnesota, his second season. He didn't do much his first year, but they had a very good running offense. And, you know, that's kind of how it is when you have Adrian Peterson in his, in his heyday uh, as your running back. Second year, he gets hurt. People forget about him. And now all of a sudden he comes back in and people are just, you know, all Sean Payton's offense, this and that. Well, Teddy picked it up and he operated it well. I just would like to see that be the narrative more than Sean Payton. Uh, the All the weapons that he had around him are what made him look good. It might be, but a lot of quarterbacks need that. I, and I'm getting sidetracked here. I'm well aware of that. But I don't think that anybody uh, who 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 is trying to say that they can do for Trubisky what they've done for Teddy Bridgewater is being honest with you. That's my point. I don't, at Bridgewater, I, and, and they were drafted in different spots, so maybe that's just because of the expectations are different for each one of them between those two. But I just don't see the same type of success for Trubisky going into that situation that Bridgewater had. And it might just be as simple as because Bridgewater uh, wasn't drafted first or second, excuse me, second overall. But even when we saw him, again, in Minnesota, he was able to deliver the ball consistently uh, with some accuracy. He showed a lot of the same kind of miscues you saw in Trubisky. Could it be that Bridgewater is Trubisky just a little bit more advanced? That's possible. But again, <laughs> we're right back to a situation where we're going to see a guy flourish, but not with the original team that drafted him. And that's that's a problem. That to me is ultimately a problem. Um, and then lastly, I wrote for last wrote on pro. Oh no, actually, this is for Clock of Sports. I've, I've, I'm jumping the gun here. Uh, I wrote for Clock of Sports about the winners and losers. I'm going to probably switch that up to the likes and dislikes of the AFC North's free agency period. And that'll be out tomorrow morning sometime, clockofsports.com. And just a couple of the ones that I covered for the uh, Tennessee Titans. I'm sorry, this is AFC North. For the Baltimore Ravens, I think that their worst move was more than likely uh, allowing... I'm sorry, their best move was acquiring Calais Campbell. That's obvious, but also Michael Brockers. Um, they lost Michael Pierce to the Minnesota Vikings, and that's going to be a big loss because that's that's a massive human being. And they still have Brandon Williams, and you're going to have uh, a lot of beef between those three. But I think what's more important about Calais Campbell is that his, his ability to, to collapse the pocket. He's a run stuffer. We know that, but he's going to cause havoc in the backfield, and they need that because – 
other than Matthew Judon, they didn't really get a lot of production. Tyus Bowser gave him a, a handful of sacks, but and I expect him to take another step forward too. But I think that having that ability to push the pocket from the inside is going to just create a, so many more pass rushing lanes for Judon and Bowser on the outside. You need that that guy to kind of um, not only suck in blockers, but kind of put a little bit of, of heat to them because if they can just kind of set up, they'll they'll allow that. I've seen that a lot of a lot of teams that have that nose tackle that won't penetrate um, are not necessarily getting blown off the ball, but they're not able to get their pass versus in the opposing backfield because they're not uh, displacing anybody along the offensive line. They're just kind of there. And you kind of have, you still got to move some bodies around. And I think that that's what the uh, Ravens have done here with bringing in Calais Campbell. Now, to combat that, and on the other side, the the Cleveland Browns signed Jack Conklin from the Tennessee Titans. That's another good move. Conklin is a really good offensive tackle, and I'm surprised Tennessee decided that they would let him walk, um, especially when they built that entire last season off of the run game. I, I, there's been a lot of moves that Tennessee has done this offseason that don't make sense, like paying Ryan Tannehill and tagging Derrick Henry. I'm not saying you pay Derrick Henry a massive contract, but you don't tag Derrick Henry and pay Ryan Tannehill that much money. They'll regret both of those decisions uh, in the very near future, and they'll probably regret this one even uh, before either one of those. Coughlin, again, good left tackles shouldn't hit the market because they're very, very important, especially with a guy like Tannehill who's been injury prone. You might want to protect him. We'll see what they decide to do uh, with with Conklin and and uh, I know that's on the right side. Juan's uh, on the other side. At any rate, they they're letting a good bookend tackle go, and it's just in his prime. He's in his prime. Uh, that's a, a great sign for Cleveland because Baker Mayfield is running for his life, and they need to get uh, somebody in there because well, Greg Robinson ain't blocking nobody. He worked about blocks, but he's not blocking nobody. That that is a, a, a something that I think will. I don't know how much it's going to help. They still have to address some other positions. They need another offensive lineman at least. But it was a very good sign, a very good start for them to try to address an issue that I think got overshadowed by some of the 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 by the splashier signing in Austin Hooper, which I actually think is probably the worst decision in all of the division, and that's only because of the fact that they're not really adding a complimentary tight end. They already have uh, David Njoku, who they spent a uh, first-round pick on a couple of seasons ago. And he's supposed to be the receiving threat. Now, Hooper has gotten better, had gotten better the previous two seasons, but last year he took a major step back. And I just don't know. You're paying him a lot of money. And you now have a lot of money tied up in a lot of premium positions, and you're tied in your wide receivers and your backfield. And your quarterback is a young, still-learning guy. And you're just trying to find your way uh, as a team through all of this. Now, my question is, uh, at what point do they decide that they've provided enough and they start expecting more wins? But really, when this bill comes due, who are you keeping? We've already heard murmurs about uh, needing to get Odell Beckham on the move, Jarvis Landry as well, Kareem Hunt as well. My question is Pretty simple. When the bill comes due, who are you getting rid of? And then, if it doesn't work again this year, what are you doing? You have to start moving pieces around because you've already had Beckham and, and Landry for a couple of seasons at that point. Uh, Nick Chubb, Hunt, Kareem Hunt will be gone. You have to start making decisions. I just don't know exactly what uh, 
what Cleveland is expecting to do with this without having so much as a uh, uh, so much as a stat. Listen again, referencing this through the the, the 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 lens of a Bears fan. When your quarterback position is not settled, you can surround it with all you want to. It won't matter because that guy won't get it done. Baker Mayfield is. Uh, second over the last couple of seasons in interceptions, thanks to Jameis Winston and his record-setting pace this year. He was second in the NFL this season, Baker Mayfield was. A lot of it has to be on Baker, too. So at some point, you got to say, okay, we can't spend any more money on weapons. It's probably just this guy. And I just wonder when that – I mean, we've seen teams – our teams are clearly making that decision a lot faster nowadays. How fast will it come for Cleveland and Baker Mayfield? That's my question. To read the rest of the article, go on to clockersports.com. That's going to do it for this episode of Triple Zeros. Again, follow me on Twitter at Joshie Buck. Hit up the Facebook page at clockersports, the website clockersports.com, and the email address is clockersports at gmail.com. Until the very – oh, nope, read the stuff. Pivot ain't easy. And um, last, word on pro, last word on pro football and clockersports.com. Now, until the very next time. <laughs>